This morning I'll be reading from Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's good to see you here today. Uh, whether you're in the room or you're with us online, it's good to have you with us. We are concluding our series in Romans chapter 8. It's been quite a journey for us, and we're, we're moving into the season of Lent. Now, if you don't know where that is because you grew up like me in a church that didn't celebrate that or even acknowledge it, Lent is a time of preparation. It's a time where you till the soil in your heart to get ready for Easter. And it begins with Ash Wednesday, which Ashley Crisp reminded us of. There's a, there's a service here. We want you to be a part of it. Where you're reminded that from dust you come and dust you will return. You were born and you were going to die, which doesn't sound like that great of news, uh, but, but there's something very important about experiencing the truth of the reality that you live in. And so what, I've, what I can tell you from my experience is simply this. During the years where I've kept the calendar, where I've poured myself into Lent, whether that was giving up something that I didn't really need, like an indulgence, or, or, or engaging in something that I really needed to do to kind of spiritually form me, Easter means more. And so I invite you this season, as we go through a season of Lent, to, to reflect on what Jesus did, what Jesus looks like. And as you look in the mirror, do you see the eyes of Jesus looking back at you? We've been in this series on Romans chapter 8, and last week we, we talked about how nothing can separate you from God's love, except for maybe you. And, and then we, 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 we said, okay, so there's like some extreme arrogance in that statement, that somehow your sin is special. It's too big for God's love. It's too dark for God's love. It's too, like, it's like the organic, vegan, gluten-free sin that keeps you apart from God's love. It's just too special. That's not how it works, right? God couldn't possibly pay for my sins. What that is is a total failure of imagination because you have no idea of what's in store for you. 
It's like in C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. If you ever read that, it's sort of a parable. If, I encourage you to read that if you've never read it before. It's a story of, of these people that are in heaven, and they get on this bus, and they journey to the edge of hail, hell. That was West Texan. Hail. Uh, I haven't been here that long. I don't deserve this. Um, <laughs> the edge of hell. And there's no, there's no gates at the edge of hell because Jesus has already knocked them over. And so people are free to come and go. But the, the, the point of the, the great divorce, the point of the parable, is that people don't want to go. There's a reason why they cannot travel to God, even though God has sent witnesses to convince them, to cajole them, to encourage them. The journey to heaven is thwarted by those who cannot fathom, who don't have the imagination to appreciate God's love and God's mercy. And as you read the, the, the parable, you realize there's a lot of different reasons why different people can't. They, they refuse to see themselves as anything but the main character of the universe. And because they can't put God on the throne because they refuse to get off, they cannot take steps toward God. They refuse to sense the awe and the wonder. And they're so stunted that they can't admit or comprehend God's love. There's nothing that keeps them away from God's love except themselves. Okay, so this week, we set that up. This week, I want to push against that a little bit. Because the truth is, is once you take the first step towards God, once you take even an inkling in your heart, once God moves and you feel the experience of the Spirit, you can't not last long in that journey of Christ before God draws most of the arrogance out of your life. It's keenly, you're keenly aware, once you begin the journey with God, how little you know, how difficult it is to love selflessly, and how impossible it is to get yourself out of the way. And in that state of like, I can't, and I'm not going to do it, and there's no way on my own, it's in that moment where God's grace comes into your world. You, your sin isn't special, and you're not the center of the universe. And once you begin to, to, to think, once you have that taste that allows you to drink of God's love, you just can't get enough. But sometimes it's just the, the failure to, to comprehend who God is. And so that's what I want us to think about today as we open our Bibles and our hearts and our minds to Romans 8. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. For this whole morning, Father, I've been, uh, I've been captivated, I've been swept up by songs of praise. As we've been led to your throne room, we are filled with grace and mercy. You have invited us to your table, and we've sat and we have feasted with your son, Jesus, the body and the blood that gives us life. And Father, now as we turn our hearts and minds to, to hear a word from you, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. It's together that the church says, amen. amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 8. Who is it to condemn? It is Christ who died, or rather, who was raised, who is also at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And I think if we're not careful as we move into this text, we might get this part wrong. 
Because I think the metaphor sometimes gets confused. And it's easy to imagine that, that Christ is interceding for us before the throne room of God. And that's some sort of courtroom, right? And you've got Jesus, who is our defense attorney, and, and God, who is, who is the judge. And, and Jesus is arguing on our behalf. And he's, he's kind of put us on the witness stand. And he says, yeah, well, yeah, he's kind of an idiot. But, but you need to see how he sings at church. Or he might say, but, you know, she has messed up her life, but she did so well in Bible Bowl in the fifth grade. And, and I think somehow that's how we think about what's happening in this text. And if that is the case, then we've missed the point. That Jesus is the advocate. Now in Romans, Paul has already talked about, we missed this part because we didn't talk about it, but uh, God's law is right and good and the wages of sin are death. And so when Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that Jesus is interceding for us, he's not trying to argue like you on your own merits. He's also not trying to argue for the mercy of God. Yeah, he's an idiot, but we all kind of love him, so can we let him pass? What Jesus is saying when Jesus is interceding on our behalf is what he is saying is, I have paid. I have paid the debt according to the law I have paid. I have paid for this man's sins. I have paid for this woman's sins. So I do not plead for mercy. I demand justice. And justice in this case says acquittal. Because Jesus has already paid the price. If Jesus paid the price for your sins, led the life that you couldn't have lived, if he did the things you couldn't have done, if Jesus justified you, now remember, two weeks ago, Paul said, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those he justified experienced the glory of God. If Jesus has justified you, then the law is on your side, and God's mercy is on your side. They are both for you. So what, who cares what charge they can bring against you? Jesus is interceding for you. What could possibly stand against you? Well, is it going to be darkness or affliction, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness or peril or sword? After all, Paul says, we face death all day long. We are like sleep led, or sheep, golly, sheep led to the slaughter. And it's not easy to see what the reference is to affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. It's the story of the book of Acts. It's the story of Paul's life. Now, there's, there's an important thing we cannot miss. Luke is credited with written, writing the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. It's like volume one and volume two of the same story. Luke is focused on Jesus, and Acts is called Acts of the Apostles, but it's not really about the Acts of the Apostles. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit. Every time that there's a problem that occurs in the early life of the church, every time there's a barrier, it's not the apostles that figure it out. It's not like they're wise or brave or, or courageous, although they are. It's the Holy Spirit that breaks the barrier. Every time. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit, not the apostles, but whatever. I'm not going to argue. Um, but what is key to notice is at the end of Acts, Paul doesn't die. You may know the end of the book of the Gospel of Luke. The end of the Gospel of Luke involves Jesus. He is crucified, but more importantly, he is resurrected. But at the end of the book of Acts, Paul's story just kind of ends like an ellipsis. It's kind of like that dot, dot, dot. 
And there's two reasons for that. One is because Luke wants everyone to know, and he wants no confusion at all, that Jesus and Paul are not on the same level. Right? Sometimes if you produce those, those parallelisms, you might think this is the same happening. And there are parallelisms in the book of Acts and Luke, like healings kind of happen in the same way. There's, there's some things, there's some common threads that exist, but Jesus is not the same as Paul. Jesus is the Son of God. But the other reason that the book ends like that is because it's, it's not really about Paul. Because there are other apostles that are going to spread the word to other places. There are other disciples that are going to do God's work. And those who'd never met Jesus personally carry the spirit like a mantle that's passed to them. And that spirit is passed down generation to generation. Those who are baptized into Christ receive that gift. And it's, it's you. It's me. Acts ends the way it does because... The story of the Holy Spirit breaking barriers, that's still happening. That's now. So who exactly is Paul referencing when he says, we are led like sheep to the slaughter? Maybe he's talking about his team. Maybe he's talking about himself and Timothy and Titus and Barnabas and Silas and all of the others. Maybe he's talking about Priscilla and Aquila. Maybe he's talking about Junia. Maybe he's talking about all of those other leaders. Phoebe, who's the letter carrier of this book, Maybe he's talking about Jesus. But I think he's talking about us. That text is a reference to Psalm 44. And the rabbis, the, the interpretation at the time uh, of Jesus was that that text applied to the martyrs of Jerusalem. He's talking about us. Should the things that we encounter in life, those stories that are clear in Acts, those stories that are reflected in the hard things that you experience and you have to hold, should that separate you from the love of God? No, Paul wants to say. And all these things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's fascinating to me that in verse 37, he says, in all these things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. It's past tense. It's an event that happened in the past, and it ceased happening. You would expect that to be through him who loves us, that that work is ongoing. Because he's not talking about God's love that's ongoing. He's talking about Jesus and the cross. In verse 32, up ahead, before, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will we not give him everything else? Jesus held it all. That word there, he who did not spare his own son. And there's a connection between God who does not spare his son through Jesus Christ who loved us. It's the culmination of sin and the gulf that that sin created. That Jesus held all of that in that moment on the cross. God did not spare his son. The sin of the world was not held back by God's mercy in that moment. Jesus bore the full force of the world. And after God did that, 
What else is there left? I mean, you could imagine. You could imagine that somebody bought you an amazing gift. I mean, bought you a car. Not only bought you a car, but maybe bought you like a Mercedes, right, or a BMW. Maybe didn't even buy you a car. Maybe bought you a house. I mean, it's not even a house in Abilene. It's like a house in Deep Ellum. It's not even a house in Deep Ellum. It's a house in Manhattan. Okay, you want to get money? It's not even a house in Manhattan. It's a house in Seoul, Korea. It costs millions of dollars. And you can imagine that the deal is done, they've been negotiated, all the papers are signed, and the realtor comes to somebody and says, hey, you know, I know you're going to give this as a gift to you. Would you like us to put a bow on the door? Millions of dollars, months of negotiation. And so you say, yeah, sure, let's put a bow on the door. How much do you think that'll cost me? And they say, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 bucks. And you're like, nope, forget it. It's over, deal's out. Uh, Tuesday is Valentine's Day, just a warning, I'm giving you a heads up. Um, and on Valentine's Day, you can imagine that, that that significant other for you walks into the house and says, I've got a plan. Oh, tell me about it. Well, well I've got somebody to take the kids, that's my world right now. Uh, but, you know, I've already, I've prepped the babysitter, and we're going to have a car pick us up, it's going to be a nice car. We're going to go to um, Cork and Barrel, what's it called, Pig and Barrel? It's the only place in Abilene where you have to have reservations. Um, and after that, I've got some uh, a great ideas planned for you. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and then it's going to be amazing. And then you say to them, well, that sounds great. It sounds like you put a lot of work into this. You know, at the end of the night when we're back home and it's, it's could you give me a glass of water? And that person says, no, forget it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will we not with him also give us everything else? After God did that, what else is left? We do not have the imagination to fathom the depth of God's love. We do not have the capacity in our minds to understand how much God truly loves you. It's not possible. It's the love, that depth of love that Paul is hoping can bridge the gap between Jews and Gentiles in Romans. I think sometimes we take this text and we say it means you uniquely, individually. That's true. But I think that Paul is thinking about everybody. He's thinking about us, the big us. That we will never find the bottom of God's love. We could send our roots deep, and we should send our, 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 our spiritual roots deep into God's love, but we will not find the bottom of it. You've, maybe you've opened up one of those plants that you got in a uh, pot, and, and it's, it's grown too big, and the roots are all on the outside. It's just become enmeshed. It's, it's too small. You cannot find the bottom of God's love. But with roots so deep, the hurricane will not blow you over. You will never travel so far that you can find the edge of God's love. That map has no ending, but the cartography of your faith reminds us that there is nowhere where God is not. There is no amount of suffering or failure or opposition that is outside of God's love. And that makes us victorious, more than victorious.
It makes you a son and daughter. It gives you the freedom because of God's grace that you can live without condemnation. The gospel sets you free to love. And when we love in God, there is no end, ever.